Well, it's a good day to be able to continue to open the Word of God with you. Uh, it's honestly, when you prepare a sermon uh, like I get to do a uh, good portion of the year, it just puts your heart in the right place when you're in the Word of God and you're, you're looking in the mirror and you're trying to apply it. And, uh, and I will be honest with you, this is not the easiest sermon to listen to. Um, you might think, well, how in the world can loving people uh, be a difficult message to listen to? Well, uh, the Lord sets a standard that is beyond what the world would say is good love. And so we're going to look at that today, be faithful to the text of what, how Jesus would define such a love. And so we're going to do that today. And so I'm going to be asking you to turn in your Bibles. We're going to begin in Luke 10, and then we're going to be in Luke 6, and then 1 John 4. Uh, so again, if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming forward. Be glad to provide you one. Just put your hand up, and they will offer you one. And uh, it's a free gift from us if you'd like to keep it, uh, keep it as you wish. Uh, so, having said that, last week we began talking about our mission as a church. And it comes from out of Scripture that says when Jesus gave what we call the Great Commission to his disciples, like, this is what you're to do uh, once I leave and until, and until I come. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations. So, going everywhere with this good news and, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them all that I have taught you. So Jesus, in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, is saying, you know, I want you to make followers of me. That's what being a disciple is, making followers of him that look like him, are following after him, are applying what he teaches, and then teaching others to do the same. And then we get to do that through baptism. <clears throat> so having said that, within that, we then have boiled down. Well, what does it mean to then live like Jesus and look like Jesus? So after a, uh, some season of time of studying the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, we about several, about eight years ago, came to the, the uh, place of being able to say, there are eight st or four statements that we can make that we believe captures generally speaking, captures who Jesus is and what we're to become. And that is to love God, love people, live truth, and proclaim Jesus. And last week we began with, what does it mean to love God? And quite frankly, when Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing you can do? He quoted what is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is to love your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then he says, and we're to then love our neighbor as we would love ourselves." Then Jesus makes this statement that he says, okay, to love God is the greatest thing you can do, and the second is like it, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. But he then says, and everything in the law and the prophets hang from those two statements. Everything hangs from that. So we can boil down all that is said from Genesis to Malachi that, that precedes the coming of Christ. All that is said there hangs from the idea that we are to love God with our full being. And because of that, 
we then love others as we would ever care for ourselves. This all takes place from Jesus responding to what's the greatest thing you can do. And what does it look like to have a relationship with God? And, and that Shema that is stated in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then we're to love him with all our heart, soul, and strength. So, if Jesus says that all the law and the prophets hang from this, how does that look? If you look at just the law... The Ten Commandments. You have the ten that we spoke through last summer. And if you look, the first three are all about our relationship to God. To have no other gods before him. We are to not make a god to worship. And we are to honor God's name above all other names. But then look at the rest of the, the Ten Commandments. It's all about how we interrelate with each other. So... Romans chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 says, Let no doubt, debt, remain outstanding, except the continuing debt, what? To love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And what other command, whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as you would love yourself. So, Jesus is cementing that, yes, if we love God with our full being, it's the greatest thing you can do, then the natural byproduct of that is that we're going to grow in our ability to love other people. And that's a sign that God's work is happening in us when we can do this. So the second greatest thing you can do while here on this earth is to love others. Now, Jesus was asked the question because the, the other statement that's found in the text that he quotes says the word neighbor. So we're to love our neighbor as we would love ourselves. So the natural question is, who is our neighbor? And Jesus was asked this question. So I'm going to begin in verse 25 of, of Luke 10. It says this, on one occasion... An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus responded, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Well, this man answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus responded, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But this man, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Let me pause there, because I'd like to just summarize what he says next. He goes into the parable that we all know as the Good Samaritan. But the context of this Good Samaritan is this, is that the hero of the parable that models the love of God is actually someone that the Jew would despise or consider somebody as lesser and unlikable. So in this story, in this parable, the unlikable person to the Jewish listener is the one that does as God intends when it says to love your neighbor. Because again, that's the answer to the question is how, who is my neighbor? How do I love him? 
And it's the Samaritan that shows the love. So what happens? In the story, we know some man is traveling along the road. Now, based on the location and where he was going, was likely a Jewish traveler. So this Jewish traveler is along the road. He then gets robbed and beaten and, and left for dead. And a couple people walk by. They happen to be Jewish. A Jewish priest who should be one that was like a, he's charged to shepherd and care for those who are a part of Israel. He sees this Israelite that is suffering on the ground, that has been left for dead. Does he stop and help? No, he keeps walking and lets it, lets, leaves him for somebody else's care. Then a Levite passes by, which is basically also a leader, a servant in the temple. Somebody that would be like a staff member at a church sees this person, sees the need. But again, for whatever reason, passes by, offers no help. But then the Samaritan, the one who should not, would not likely want to care for a Jew, cares for this Jewish hurt person. And so he goes over and he begins to meet the needs. And he doesn't just meet the needs in the moment. He puts this person on his donkey and takes him into town and make sure that care is going to happen for him, even beyond his ability to help. So he leaves money behind for them to be cared for. So this is the story that Jesus shares as to what it looks like to love another person as God would expect us to love. Is that we would love even the stranger. And the stranger that may not like you back. Because again... There was a lot of animosity between Jew and Samaritan. And yet, that's what God says. If those who are in animosity with each other would show love and care for the other, that's what I mean when it says to love your neighbor as you would care for yourself or love yourself. Now, here comes the tough part. What does it look like then if we're saying that Neighbor isn't just somebody we live next to. I mean, all of us here that are likely sitting here today live in either Mannheim or Ephrata Township or Warwick area here or perhaps southern Lebanon County. Is neighbor literally kept to those that live by you? And the answer Jesus has already given, it's like, no, it's those who are in proximity to you. Those that are in need near you. Okay, well, not everybody that is near us is somebody that we really want to help. And what Jesus says in Luke 6, quite frankly, is not something that our ears want to hear. And makes it very difficult to preach because I want to be found with integrity that as I speak something that you can trust that I would abide by that. And I will be honest, what we're about to read, I'm not always good at. In fact, I fail often. So I want to ask you to turn to Luke 6, just to the left a little bit in your Bibles. And we're going to begin in verse 27. Again, this is under the question, if, God, if the most important thing we can do on this earth is to love God, and the second most important thing we could do is then to love people or to love our neighbor, who is our neighbor Jesus has already broken through and says, 
and uses a story where the neighbor can even be an enemy or a stranger. But let's look at the kind of love he's referring to because we need to make sure we understand the type of love he means that we're to express to somebody that's another person. So verse 27. But to you who are listening, Jesus speaking, by the way, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, I don't think he means that when we pray for those who mistreat you, that you're praying curses upon them, or praying that they fall short, or that they, they, everything comes back on them. No, I think it's praying for their benefit, for their blessing. But look, I mean, let me read it again. Uh, to those of you who are listening, love your enemies. Do good to them, even those who hate you. Bless those who might curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Should I stop? That's not easy, is it, to apply? Let me go on. Jesus doesn't just let it sit there. He actually peels it away and gets to the issues that would cause us to not want to love such people. Verse 29 says, If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold from them your shirt from them Either Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners who those love those who love them. Now, just so you understand, we're all sinners. I mean, we all struggle with sin, but what's he classifying here? It's those who would not pursue God. Those who are not pursuing God at all. So it's that qualifier that he's saying here. So even those who don't pursue God love those who love them back. And verse 33, and if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners, people who don't go after God can do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. I would like to suggest that everything that was just said here is impossible. I mean, think about it. We're being asked to bless those who curse us. Think the last time. I mean, you can't live any length of time where you haven't had somebody that says something It's not necessarily a curse over you, but it's said in such a way that they are wishing for you to not experience anything good. They are wishing harm for you. 
Likely, if you're a human being and you're interacting with other people, you've had that happen. They want you to not experience the good. And what it's saying here is bless them. Bless them in response to the curse. And when it comes to retaliation, we're to withhold. In fact, it suggests that we're not only withholding, but we're trying to figure out why they had the need to take from us in the beginning and meet that need. That's crazy talk. If someone steals from us, we're supposed to figure out why are they stealing so that we can possibly help them with what their, their need is? Also, this kind of love that he talks about says that recipients of our love are not because we like them and they're likable or that they might be able to do something in kind and return with some kind of reciprocation, some level of kindness to your kindness. No, our love goes to them in spite of whatever response they might give or even the lack of one. Verse 35, it suggests that not only do we love them, but we're actually supposed to do good for them, which means that when somebody is being adversarial towards us, we're to go beyond, like I, I would say, speaking about Tony here for a moment, in my best flesh moment, in response to somebody poorly treating me, I bite my tongue. And I put my hands in my pocket so as to not do something of retaliation, so as to not do something that I'll regret. So basically, I'm choosing avoidance of doing the wrong thing. But even that, as good as that might be, and that might be wise, but that's still not the love that God's talking about. He says, no, do good to them when they've done that to you. I mean, he says here, isn't it true that the most high it shows kindness and love to the ungrateful and to the wicked? Can we be honest with ourselves for a moment that God has shown incredible love to you and I and we have responded with a lack of gratefulness and at times even still living a life that would be an affront to God, wicked and evil. Would you say there's not times we've done that? But would we also not acknowledge that when we've done that, God didn't withhold his love from us. He continued to love us in spite of our behaviors. I mean, that's why it is said in Scripture that Jesus came and died on the cross while we were still yet sinners. He knows that we cannot get ourselves clean in order to come to him. He needs to come to us and make us clean. You understand the difference? A lot of people think, I can't come to God. i got to get my act all cleaned up. No, you need to go to God so he can clean your act up. There is a level and standard of love that God is talking about here through his son Jesus we're saying if you love me then the kind of love that I show to you is going to change the type of love you offer others it's going to look very different 
And if you just look at Luke 6 or what we just read and say that's a, a list of requirements and actions that you're going to have to do, I will tell you right now, if you're just going out and doing them as a matter of obedience to some kind of list, you are going to fail. Because these things are impossible to do out of the human flesh. They are impossible to do. Consider what Jesus did as he modeled this very kind of love. They even loved his enemies. On the day he was crucified, if you just follow all that happened on that day, there was a group of teachers of the law, the priests of the day, the pastors of the day. And what did they do on that day? They gave intentional false testimony. They lied about him. In order for the motivation, in order to kill him. These were pastors. These were priests. They wanted to kill him because they were threatened by him. So they lied about him. And then they set him up before the Romans and creating an impossible situation for Pilate. So then Pilate relents. And then you have this situation where Jesus then is handed over to be scourged. And then you read all the things that happen. Not only was he beaten with rods and those rods upon the crown of thorns on his head. He was spit upon. He was mocked. And you can't even begin to understand the graphic aspects of being whipped 39 times on your back. Then put on the cross, nailed to it. Hung up on that cross. Then the taunts continue. And it was after one of those taunts from some of the the teachers of the day, the supposed spiritual leaders of the day, that Jesus then in that moment says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I believe it's that moment where Jesus, is, you know, he's on the cross because he loves God and he loves what God loves, the people that he's dying to save. But I believe it's in that moment where the expression of love for the enemy that changes hearts around the cross. How else can you explain that two people who were once in mockery are now a part of believing? You have a thief on the cross who had been hurling insults on him just like the other thief. And then he ends up relenting and realizing this must be the son of God. Because how else can you explain that loving statement that makes no sense when he was being uh, ridiculed and mocked the way he was? How else can you explain that the centurion who gave the orders for the crucifixion and making sure it's carried out to its fullest end that when Jesus died, he declared with his own mouth, surely he was the son of God. You see, a radical love that would love an enemy like that, when that enemy is not going to reciprocate what's one little bit, communicates there is something beyond the norm, something beyond human power that's at play. It's impossible. And you and I would struggle to live up to such a standard because we're born to retaliate. We're born to handle curse with curse. And we're certainly born to protect our things and not let somebody else have them unless we feel like we can justify it 
out of our own will. It's impossible. But how do you make, if this is the standard where Jesus says, listen, the two greatest things you can do is to love God and to love your neighbor. And that loving your neighbor can be a stranger. It can be somebody that's your enemy. How can you then do it? What kind of a journey do you have to go on to fulfill this? Because clearly he believes something can change in you. So I want us to turn to 1 John 4. It's towards the end of your Bibles. I want to talk about what needs to happen in order for this kind of love to come out of us. So 1 John chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 7. And John says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. Let me stop there. Verse 7 says, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God. You cannot possibly do the kind of divine love that Jesus embodied unless you yourself have been born again. You must be born again. In fact, there was an encounter between Jesus and one of those spiritual leaders of that day. It happened at night in privacy because likely that, that leader was concerned for how others might think of this encounter between him and Jesus. But yet his heart was saying, I need to understand more what Jesus is teaching because it appears to him. And it feels to him that God is behind Jesus. In spite of what his peers were saying, he knew something was going on. So he comes to Jesus at night and they have this encounter. And he wants to understand like how somebody can become saved. And Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3, you got to be born again. Got to be born again. To which naturally, <laughs> to the human mind says, and this is what Nicodemus said, so I've got to crawl back into my mother's womb and, and be born? And Jesus says, no, what this, what this is, is being born of God's spirit. Being changed and, and finding a different core of our being that now is in charge. Not our flesh that would desire things that are for ourselves, but rather of spirit which would desire things that are of God. So people who are loving radically as Jesus is speaking of, where we could love somebody who's a stranger, or we could love somebody who's our adversary, only happens because there is something that has changed inside of them. 
and then gives them the power to do something like loving a stranger or an enemy. They have been born anew. And as verse 8 says here, you cannot even claim to say, I love God, fulfilling the, the number one commandment. You can't even claim that you know God or that you love God unless this radical kind of love is what's the expression of your life. And then he reveals this kind of love that it's truly coming from him because Jesus reflected it. Jesus lived out this kind of love by the way he loved on people, whether or not they reciprocated his love. And all of this happens by the Spirit, even with Jesus, by the Spirit. Think about this. Was Jesus born again? No. But he was born in the Spirit. Because he was born of a virgin, and it wasn't by the seed of a man, but rather by the Spirit of God. So even he too, by the power he displayed, that is part of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he was born of Spirit. And that is why we are able to see him for him being both God and man. And he lived out by that Spirit faithfully through his death and his resurrection. And then he asked the same of us you too can be born again. Born of the Spirit, where the flesh can be put to death and your, your, your body then can be made alive by His Spirit. Let's continue looking at, so if we're born of the Spirit, as he says in verse 13, he describes some things that will start to happen. Verse 14, it says, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is, excuse me, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot possibly love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So speaking is this, that the only way that we can truly know without a shadow of a doubt that God is in us is if you see the work of his love through us. It's the number one evidence of a life being changed. So loving like Jesus can only happen by his spirit. That's where we're born again. And then you know that birth has happened when you can see that your love and the way you love others is starting to look very different. I believe that is the true calling of the child of God, is that as we love God more and more, and his, what's upon his heart will become upon our heart, we will start loving 
the way he loved. Where he loved on the one that was not faithful to him. Where he loved on the one that was even his enemy. He loved on the one that would not reciprocate. So too, as he starts transforming us by his spirit with his love, we too can start loving on people that won't love us back. We can start loving on people that have treated us poorly. We can love on people whether or not we would ever receive anything from them. And I recognize this is a journey. What seems impossible with the Spirit of God not only becomes likely in what it can accomplish between you and I, but it will come to fruition absolutely in our lives by the work of His Spirit. We've got to be born again. Otherwise, we can't love and experience the love of God without that help. So there is a process we have to go through because I'll be honest, in my flesh of states, my, my, where my normal defaults are, I do a great job loving those who love me back. And that is about as strong a truth as I can possibly say in this moment. But I don't think I'm the only one in this room that's guilty of that. I think most of us, by our flesh, without the Spirit of God, love well when we know there's a love that reciprocates. But that's not the kind of love that God is speaking of when he says, I want you to love your neighbor. That means that there are no predeterminations presuppositions that decides where we send that love. No, that love goes freely. And that love goes freely in full. So the process of God's unchanging love, I mean, unchanging love and changing you and others through you begins with being born again. So if you came into this room and you did not know Jesus, and you did not have a relationship with Jesus, just like Nicodemus trying to understand what does this relationship look like, you need to acknowledge that you need Jesus' work in your life. Call out that you fall short and that you are a sinner. And then he promises to give you his spirit and rebirth you into a new person. And then you become his child. And this begins then the transformation of who you are. Because number two, it says the Spirit then, once he's in you, will begin to arouse your love for God and for what he loves. And what God loves is he loves holiness and righteousness. And as that pertains to other people, love. God wants to change your character to where it's not about you, but it's about him and living like him, that holy and righteous life. And that manifests into love for others, unhindered and full. Thirdly, when you love people by his spirit, and I want you to hear this because this is so important. When you love people by his spirit with that kind of love, then we will make the invisible God visible to those who need to be born again. Do you understand what, I, what was just said there? That if we can live that kind of love, that which is invisible becomes visible. 
What couldn't be seen by that thief on the cross next to Jesus all of a sudden was seen. What couldn't be seen while he was being beaten to shreds under the command of that centurion. Now the centurion sees what he couldn't see before is through that love that he gave. It made visible who he really was. So too today. When we let the love of God that, that we're exchanging with him become the, the, the motive and the direction of how we love other people, so too we make visible God today. And lastly, loving people such as a difficult friend or the stranger or the adversary becomes possible by the power of God's spirit, not your flesh, but by God's spirit in you. Jesus shares a story in Matthew chapter 5 that this idea of our relationship with God and the way we worship him is directly connected to how we interrelate with each other. That he says in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, that if you come to me to worship me and give gifts to me, but yet you do not love other people, and you are at animosity with somebody else, especially a brother or sister in Christ, he tells you, leave your gift at the altar and go and make things right before you come back to worship me. You see, that's how God looks at this. His relationship with us is made more whole by how whole we lead our relationships here. It's all a work of his spirit. It begins by him. But he knows that you are beginning to follow him and he sees it when you allow that love to change in the way you radically respond to other people. So my charge to you is this, that before you come and worship with us next week, that if there's somebody that you maybe have not loved well and you've had animosity in your heart, to spend some time this week before God and say, God, is this an issue between me and you that I need to make right? And if, and if you get things right there, then trust in how he would guide you and how to interrelate with him. Because not everything may require you to go directly to them. It may mean just you getting right between you and God. I've seen a lot of people use that verse, that charge, you can't worship unless you get things right, that they go and dump their burdens on the person that they didn't like, and then they come back and worship God and think that was okay. okay. You understand what I mean by that? We have to make sure that we get right with God and let God guide us as to how to make things right with another human being. And then we can worship more freely God. So, the greatest thing we can do is love him and interrelate with him. The second greatest is to let that love direct how we love each other. Let's pray. So Jesus, I acknowledge that you are the model of love. You are the creator of love. You are the essence of love. And all of that comes from the Father. But we're pretty broken people. And we're pretty protective of ourselves and our inner circle that we qualify our love as soon as we go outside that circle. So God, would you break through and keep doing the work of transformation in our lives where we begin to love the way you love, that we can love even a family member or a friend uh, that is not treating us well in the moment, that we can love somebody who's been an adversary, that we can love a stranger that we don't even know who they are, but you've given us opportunity to be a part of their life. 
God, we can only go there if you provide your spirit. We know you provide the model, but now we need the empowerment of your spirit. So bring those who have been born again into alignment with your spirit. For those who have never been born again, would you rebirth them anew? I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please? Let's join and ask the Lord to lead us in his love to those that he has for us to impact.
So if you're not born again and you've never experienced the Spirit of God coming upon you and changing you and beginning that journey to where you're being daily transformed into his likeness, I would encourage you to go to the encounter room. Afterwards, we'll have people there that'd be glad to pray with you, uh, answer questions. I mean, we read today where Jesus is responding directly with people, questions that they have, and and we want to be a part of Jesus' work in your life and would love to, to do that. 
We also are going to have a baptism that's after the service here uh, where you'll get an opportunity to hear the testimony of God's work in a young man's life. And uh, he's going to be sharing that uh, with you um, after this service. And you can go outside that door and go to the right to discover where our baptistry is. Having said that, Jesus made this statement to on the night that he was betrayed to his disciples that they were going to be identified differently going forward. In John 13, it says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So people will know we're followers of Jesus if we live and love radically as Jesus did. We make visible the invisible God. And then they identify that has to be from God. That's what love, loving like God loves can do. So may we be faithful with that love towards God and the way we love others that people will see God in us and pursue him as we have pursued him. Amen. You are dismissed.